In Jerusalem, A.D. 30, Jesus died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and then ascended into heaven. Fifty days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, giving them power, purpose, and a plan. Out of joy, the church was born. Empowered by the Spirit, Peter gave his first sermon, and 3,000 hearts were transformed. Hearing, receiving, and repenting, the young church walked in unity and garnered praise. Out of joy, the gospel creates community. Peter and John then continued to spread the gospel through preaching and miracles, and the church grew by 5,000. Yet, inside and outside forces threatened the unity of the church, including racial tension, a couple who held back money from the church body, and the Hellenists accusing the Hebrews of neglecting widows. But still, the church continued to multiply. In A.D. 31, Stephen was arrested for performing miracles and speaking truth. Standing before the council, he gave a powerful sermon, connecting the Old Testament to Jesus and what he accomplished. Stephen rebuked the people for their hard hearts and refusal to acknowledge Jesus. Enraged, the people stoned Stephen, making him the first Christian martyr. In every day and age, the church faces both persecution and praise. Christians will always be misunderstood, misrepresented, maligned. But we must fight for and pray for unity to flourish within the church. Whether evangelizing to the lost, whether home groups creating new groups, whether campuses becoming autonomous churches, all multiplication comes at a cost. But we continue to move forward. Out of joy, the church multiplies. Good morning, church. Out of joy, the church is multiplied. Tiffany, thank you for sharing your story. That was just amazing. The fact is, when we tell our story, it gives permission to tell his story. And Tiffany, thank you for sharing your story. We all have a story, isn't that right? Uh, I had nine years that I spent in the hospitality industry. Actually, my whole life has been serving, but nine years specifically working in the restaurant industry. And uh, I learned a lot of lessons in the restaurant business. I, I learned what I wanted to do. I, I learned some things that I didn't want to do. I learned how to serve people. I learned the priority of doing things really well. I learned the power of doing things excellent. I, I also uh, learned the power of persuasive words. When I became a waiter, we would make presentations to tables and recommendations like, you, like you've experienced at restaurants before. But, you know, I, would, I had developed a spiel, a little thing that I'd present. We'd have these big menus in the restaurant that I worked at, big giant memory menus. It kind of looked like, remember the old Fred Flintstone TV program, you know? It walks up, it's the big bone, and it turns the card over. Where our menus, I mean, you had to be a weightlifter just to lift our menu up. And I remember walking to the table one time with a stack of like 15 of them, like I'm down like this, trying to pass them out. But I learned the power of persuasive words. This particular restaurant that I worked in, um, they had this one item on the menu that was just, for me, it was the bomb. It was a filet mignon. Mm. And they, uh, they, they cut these, they, they'd saute these shrimp and they'd put them on top. And then they'd put a Bernays sauce. And that's starting to make you hungry already, right? They just like, this is Bernays sauce right over the top of it. And they called it uh, filet a gamba. It was filet and shrimp. And I loved it. It was just like the bomb. Now, you know, when you're a, when you're a waiter or a salesperson, you don't want to sell 
the highest price item because people know that you're just trying to raise the check average. You don't want to sell the lowest price item on the menu, but you want to get close to the top there. And that filet of gamba was just the bomb. One night, you know, we probably I probably waited on 40 or 50 people that night, and out of the out of the people that I waited on, I remember like 90% of them ordered filet of gamba. And I really learned the power of persuasive words. I mean, I just realized that your words have tremendous amount of influence. And, and uh, I'd go back into the kitchen after about the eighth order of filet agamba. The, sh- the chefs are just, oh, can't you can't sell anything else? I'm like, no way, man. It's the best thing you guys make on the menu. And, and there was this big brouhaha in the kitchen. I was tell- selling too many of an item. And, but I learned something. I learned the, that there is great influence and great power in the way that we live our lives and our ability to persuade people for good. And the fact is, our lives can persuade people for wrong. We have the choice before us. And in our story this morning, we've been journeying through the book of Acts. We're actually in the 10th week of our, of our talking and discussing and, and really trying to grab a hold of the empowered church and the mission for which God has called us in the year 2015. And we look at the book of Acts this morning where we see that God's desire, God's desire is to use us to fulfill his purpose in our generation. You know, I, I understand, I understand that in this life we can't please everyone. You just can't do that. But if you please the right one, it'll make your life a whole lot easier. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 6. We're going to be looking at a man by the name of Stephen. And like we do here at City Church, I want you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're in Acts chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to read the last two verses. This actually will be a two-part the life of Stephen will be a two-part message. I will begin this week, and, and uh, we're going to look at some characteristics of his life. And then next week, we're going to talk about his message. Next week, we're going to talk about his message. Today, we're going to talk about his ministry. And the reason that I felt this particular part of the book of Acts is so important to us, because this is where the gospel is go- going to begin to shift its focus. Right here... Up to this point, Luke has been talking about the experiences of the early church among the Jewish people. They weren't Christians. They were simply Jews who had believed in Jesus as their Messiah. And from this point on, we will see a shift. And Because of the life of Stephen, you and I are here today. Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse number 1. And the Bible says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing... I love the word in the King James. It says, when the number of the disciples was multiplying. Everyone say multiply. The Hellenistic Jews, those are the Grecian Jews. They were still Jew, but they lived in a Grecian culture. Among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full. Everyone say full. Full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full. Everyone say full. Full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon. Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. 
And so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full, everyone say full, full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. An opposition arose from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene, Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who, became, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom, the Spirit of God, the Spirit gave him, as he spoke. Now I want you to turn over to chapter 7. We're going to read the last few verses of chapter 7. The Bible says, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my mess, my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Here's my one big idea this morning. You can't please all the people, but you can live your life you can live your life mission to please the one. You're never going to please all the people, but you can live your life mission to please the one. This morning we are going to pray for our resurrection services that are coming, and we also want to focus this morning on our tabernacles for Togo. You heard Kristen mention in the video, but we are going to partner with churches, and a particular church in Togo, Africa, and we're going to help them build a building. We're going to help them right now. They meet in brush arbors. They're under, just under thatch roofs, and we're actually going to build a church in Togo. And I believe it's going to happen because of the resurrection offering that takes place this year. So we want to pray for our resurrection services this morning. Will you come into an agreement with me? Father, thank you for the great privilege that we have together to live in this great nation. Thank you for the resources and the finances that you've given us so that we can be a blessing to the nations. And God, I ask right now for the people that are here, Lord, I, I thank you for the testimony of Tiffany who, whose life was changed, her family was changed because of a resurrection service just several years ago where she encountered her grace and she found you for herself. And Lord, I just thank you that there are so many more in this city. There are multiplied numbers of people that will need to hear the message that Jesus, you change everything. God, I pray for those that will be coming to the resurrection services in just a few weeks, from the Good Friday service on Friday night to the, the five services over the weekend. We pray your favor and blessing. And God, as we, as followers of you, we come and we will bring our best, best gift so that others can experience in a greater dynamic the grace and the love of God in their city and their community. God, we ask this today. Now, for every person that's here, give them a spiritual ear. Give them an ability to hear you. Not my words, but your words. God, enable me to stay focused in the second service to communicate exactly what you want me to say. I ask this, Jesus, in your mighty name, and everyone said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. The first church has started, and it is an exciting place to be. As a matter of fact, the very first church has a name. It's JerusalemCityChurch.com. <laughs> That's the name of the church, Jerusalem City Church. It's the first city church, and it's in Jerusalem. And the gospel is spreading rapidly. I mean, these Jewish people who were followers of the law and of Moses, they've heard about Jesus, some of them. So maybe we even actually heard Jesus. They didn't really believe. They didn't know what to believe. But after the Holy Spirit comes, after God pours out His Spirit on the 120 in the upper room, things take off from there. And it explodes through the city. As a matter of fact, one place in the book of Acts, it says they filled the city with their doctrine. 
They filled the city with the message of Jesus Christ and the power that he has to change our lives. The church is growing. It's a place of great blessing. They're sharing with one another. They're meeting each other's needs. And all of a sudden, there's a problem. Everyone said, there's a problem. (laughs) The fact is, anytime you get more than two people in a room, it's not if you're going to have a problem. It's just when you're going to have a problem. You remember that old movie with Tom Hanks and he's stranded on, a, on, a, on an island someplace in the Pacific or wherever he's at. And he's all by himself and he has a problem. <laughs> I mean, the fact is, is that just the way that life rolls and if we think that we're going to live a problem free life, it just is never going to happen. When we look at this in power, church, I want you to see there's incredible expansion. It's the mission of God. It's the purpose of God to expand his church, to expand the message of Jesus so that more and more people can come to faith in God and to experience salvation that's only available through his name. The church is expanding because it's the heart of God to multiply his family. It's the heart of God to have a great big family. This started all the way back in the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, God speaking to Adam and Eve, created in his own image. He says this to them. And God said to them, God blessed them. Everyone say blessed. Come on, God blessed. I love the word blessing. God wants to bless people. God loves to bless people. And God blessed Adam and Eve and he said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. Everyone say multiply. God wants you to be fruitful. God wants you to multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and all these other things that God commanded them to do. They all had to do with expansion, multiplying their influence, multiplying their sphere, multiplying their dominion, the heart of God. Years later, there was a man by the name of Noah. The earth had become wicked. It was full of wickedness. Every man was living for themselves. Perversion permeated the earth. And God looked down on mankind and said, this is not what I created them for. I'm going to start over. The Bible says that there was a great flood, but there was one man who believed God. The Bible actually says that Noah found favor. Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. You know why? Because he was a man who obeyed God. When God spoke to him, Noah said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. God blessed Noah. And the Bible says that God blessed his sons. And he said unto him, be fruitful and multiply. Everyone say multiply. Then God speaks not just to Noah. There's a man that comes along years later. His name is Abram. God speaks to him and says, Abram, I want you to come. And I want you to go to a land that I've prepared for you. Think of all the opposition. Think of all the challenges for Abram to leave his homeland. To follow a God that he didn't even know about. He was the unknown God to him at that time. But God reveals himself to him. And God says to Abram, I will make your seed to... Come on, I will make your seed to multiply as the stars of the heaven. And I will give you and your seed all these countries. And in all your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. You know what you have in your heart today to expand? If you go to work for a paycheck... Everyone that goes to work for a paycheck at some point wants to ask their boss for a a raise. Why is that? Because you want to multiply. You want more. It's in the nature of man to want more, to expand, because you've been created in the image of God. God spoke to Abraham, I want you to multiply. I want you to fill the earth. 
And when you fill the earth, you are going to be a blessing. See, God multiplies us. God puts increase and expansion in our heart, not just for us. It isn't just for city church and no more. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest challenges every local church has on the planet is that once somebody gets saved, once somebody comes in out of darkness and they start to get comfortable in this church environment and they learn, they, they lose the language of the world and they gain the language of the church, they start thinking about preservation, our family, our needs. And God said, no, Abram, I want you to, I want you to go and I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing, so that you can live open-handed. You also know in your own life, there's that sense of you want to do something. You want to give back. And then in Acts chapter 3, Peter's speaking of Jesus. This is what Peter says. God raised up his servant Jesus. He first sent him to you people of Israel to what? To bless you. To bless you. Everywhere that Jesus went, multiplication took place. The disciples multiplied. The multitudes gathered to Jesus. Because the message of Jesus is a message of good news. It's a message of hope to those who were perishing. God's desire is to expand. It's why City Church must keep reaching more and more people. Because it's the heart of God to have a great big family. It isn't just the heart of a local church pastor. It's the heart of God. The heart of God in this city. As a matter of fact, when Peter was talking about the relationship of God and why he hadn't returned yet, it's because Jesus said, I'm going to return. And there were already scoffers in Peter's day, just 30 or 40 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven. 30 or 40 years later, they're mocking the Christians. They're saying, all you talk about is Jesus coming back again. And then Peter says these words to them. He says, listen, God is not slow as some would count slow. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all would come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone lost. God doesn't want anyone to spend eternity separated from him. God loves people today. For God so loved the world. God does not want anyone to perish. That's not the heart of the Father. If you're a parent today, your desire is for your children to do good, to experience blessing, to experience life, to experience favor. It's the desire of every good parent. But there is a right way and a wrong way to live this life. And when we look at this man, Stephen, we, we, we see something here. We see the necessity of Christian service. We see the necessity of Christian service. The church is multiplying. It's expanding. Problems start to arise. A group of people start to complain. <laughs> You've never complained before, have you? Come on, you ever go to the water cooler around your work and what do people talk about? How wonderful their boss is? They just, how much they love to serve their boss? Is that what people talk about? Oh, come on, it's the nature of humans to complain, right? It's our human nature. And there was complaining already taking place. And the fact is, it was, it, it was probably rightly so. There were problems that had arisen. You know, the more people that you get in a local church, the more problems you have. If you own a business, the bigger your business gets, the more problems that you have. If you have a family and you start to have children, the more children you have, the more challenges, opportunities you have. It's just the nature of life. You're going to work and you start doing really well and all of a sudden you get responsibility, you're going to have more problems. It's just life. It's the way that it's worked. Jesus said, in this life you will have troubles. But be of good cheer, 
for I have overcome. It's not if they're going to come, it's when they're going to come. And the early church was like no other place. It was, it was like every other place. It had problems. And there were three primary problems as we go through our text. As a matter of fact, as we look at the book of Acts, we will see three reoccurring problems that arise. I'm here to tell you in 2015, these same problems that were in the early church are in the church today. The exact same three. The first problem was the problem of hypocrisy. Everyone say hypocrisy. Guys, my greatest challenge, the longer that I do this, the longer that I serve the Lord, the longer that I preach and yell and tell and scream and all the things that I do as a pastor, the hardest thing for me to do is just to keep it real, is to live the things that I preach. The hardest thing for you to do as a parent is to live the things that you tell your kids to do. I mean, you know, don't do as I do, but do as I say. I mean, it's just easy. It's the challenge for everyone. And hypocrisy had come into the church, and we saw it two weeks ago in Ananias and Sapphira. They were living a lie. They were pretending to be one thing, but inside, and the way they were living was actually quite different. And they had bragged about their giving. And, and then when Peter confronts them through a word of knowledge, he says, did you guys really give that? Well, no, we didn't really do that. You know, we said we were going to do this, but we really gave this. And Peter said, you haven't lied to man. You've lied to God. You can't lie to God. You can't lie to God. It's impossible. He sees all. He knows all. You come into church and, you know, you used to have the language of the world, but you get into church after a couple of years, you got the language of the church. Down. Hey, brother, how's it going? Hey, I'm blessed and highly favored. <laughs> and God is good all the time. <laughs> And then you get on the job, blank, 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 like you're living a lie. Come on, man. There's nothing sacred about being inside these four walls. But there's something that happens when we get into this environment. There's a tendency. The hypocrisy had permeated the church, had got into the church, and God dealt with it quickly. Death came, shook everything up. The second thing that we see here, and it actually takes place in this text, it's it's the the sin of discrimination or favoritism. It's the sin of discrimination or favoritism. In verse 2 and 3, it talks about these group of widows, the Hellenist widows and the Hebraic widows. And, and, and the, 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 the Hebrew Jews, the Jews that were really strict, devout, orthodox, they probably lived close to Jerusalem. They spoke the Jewish language. They spoke Aramaic, which was the language of the Jewish people at that time. They, they had these other Jewish people, other Jewish widows, but they were Grecian. They spoke a different language. They spoke a different language. And their, their tendency was to take care of their own. That's a problem. It was a problem then, and it's a problem today. It's a challenge in churches across America because the most segregated hour in America generally in most churches is the hour the people attend church. Most churches generally, most churches generally, what God has done here is nothing short of a miracle to bring people from every nation, from every country, from every tongue, from every color of skin. I mean, it's a miracle what God has done here, but it's not normative. There's a tendency because of our political ideologies and the things that we think we want to take care of our own. But the fact is, as believers, what unites us today, what unites us today is not the color of our skin, but the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. What unites us today, what we rally around is the cross of the Lord Jesus because the gospel is for all people. 
And they were discriminating towards one another. They weren't taking care of the needs of the people of another language group. This thing, they're the same blood. Before we came to Orlando, many years ago, my wife, in the very first church that we pastored, we had a just like city church here. This church was located in the inner city of Seattle, and, and we had people from all different diversities and backgrounds, different cultures there on the west coast of America. There's a lot more Asians, and we had a large Filipino population. We had an African-American population in our church and a Hispanic population, and we had young people and old people. And every Sunday after church, we would do a lunch, and we would feed everybody. It was just awesome. I mean, just it was just one of the most incredible things, and, and it was just so fun and exhilarating to see people stick around after church and they'd have lunch together. But over a couple of weeks, I began to notice a pattern that the different ethnic groups would be sitting with themselves. The Hispanics would be sitting with the Hispanics, and I understand language issues, and the African Americans would sit with the African Americans, and the Filipinos would be sitting with the Filipinos, and. But I noticed with the Filipinos, there wasn't one table of Filipinos. There'd be two tables of Filipinos. Now, when I look at a person who's Filipino, at least at that time of my life, I didn't know that there were different dialects. I, I didn't know that, as a matter of fact, there's over 1,600 different dialects in the Philippines. And there was a primary, there's a national language called Tagalog. And then they have their little subgroups. And uh, never the two shall meet. <laughs> and here we were in this church. Here we were in this church having lunch together. And the Ilocanos, which was a group of Filipinos, they would be at their table, and the Tagalogs would be at their table. After a few weeks, I, I started wondering what this was about, and, and, and then I heard some complaining. I heard some complaining because the Filipinos didn't, that, you know, the, I understand the language issue, and there was a lot of first-generation gen, Filipinos, and they were meeting and having Sunday school in their own language, but they wanted to have a separate class. And you know why they wanted to have a separate class? Because the Ilocanos didn't want to be with the Tagalogs. Wow, are you kidding me? Come on. Don't you see? I mean, don't you see? And listen, folks, it isn't a black and white issue. It isn't an American issue. It is an issue universal that there's something in the heart of men that we're attracted to take care of our own and to neglect the others. And in the body of Christ, in the body of Christ, we are to model to the whole world what it is to be one people rallied around the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ rallied around the name of the Lord Jesus Christ coming together for a common cause to make his name famous in our generation someone said amen this morning favoritism had permeated the church the church had become distracted the leaders of the church, the apostles, had become distracted. But leaders are called to fix problems. That's how you know you're a leader. Leaders fix problems. And people that fix problems have job security. <laughs> the people that fix problems in life have job security. See, there was a huge problem, and, and God has a solution to the problem. As a matter of fact, Every single problem that you have in life, there's a solution through God. In verse number 3 and 4, I want you to see what happens here. The Bible says, they, the apostles, or the leaders said, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. When you have a problem and you need a solution, you've got to make sure the right people are in the room. And what do they do? they got the right people in the room. And then not only do they get them in the room, then they were going to empower them to do something about it. 
The problem was right before them. They didn't even see it until the complaining started to happen. And the complaining was right. They were meeting the needs of people, but they weren't meeting the needs of all the people. And so the complaint that came before them was a right complaint. They were doing good things, but they weren't necessarily doing all the right things. And they, they addressed the problem. They stated what the problem was. And then they stayed focused on the main objective. The main objective. My main objective. I do a lot of things at City Church. I do lots of things. And over the years, I've done everything. I've done everything from work in children's ministry to youth pastor to... I mean, I've done whatever it's taken to get the job done here. Whatever it's taken. Janitor, clean. A lot of these plants that were planted around this building. The parking lot was cleared. I mean, I was the one on the bobcat moving dirt, building the playgrounds. I've done a lot of things here at City Church. But that's not my primary goal. People love to... And I like to work. I mean, I like to work. I, my, you ask my wife, I, I don't like to sit on my bottom long. I don't like to sit in an office long. I want to be doing something. But that's not my main goal. My main goal, my main mission in life is to preach and to teach and to equip you to become a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My main goal in ministry is to equip you to become a minister of the gospel of Jesus When we first started City Church, we had a slogan. We used to say it all the time. It went like this. Every member a minister. Every member a minister. I want you to say this after me. I am a minister of Jesus Christ. I mean, a minister is not the guy with the microphone. No, the body of Christ. We are called to minister. We are called to serve. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, there's the great, wonderful text about salvation coming by grace through faith in Christ alone. But immediately, Paul says, you're not just saved to be saved, to buy fire insurance, to go to heaven. No. In verse number 10, Paul says that you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance. You know, you've been hardwired by God. God's created you for a mission. Inside of you, there's an area of service and ministry that, listen, you will never be fulfilled in your life until you're really serving in that area. So many, it's my greatest challenge. Our greatest challenge is to get you to take your next step in God and to really see the value and importance of serving and giving to others. Our process, our initial process, at least to get people on the track, we call it the growth track here. You hear about it, we've got signs and billboards and people talk about it, but... I walked down today across the, uh, to, down to the modular where the growth track is, and, and I just looked at the people and said, they're taking their next step. I mean, it's a simple process, but the importance of this process to help you take your next step in God and discover your purpose and how you're hardwired in the mission and how you can better serve God in your generation. We've made it as simple as we can because I know this as a pastor. You will never be fulfilled. You will never truly be fulfilled until you are doing that which God has created you for. As long as it's just a thing you check off your box. As long as it's just an event that you go to once a week on Sunday morning. You'll never have that sense of peace. That sense of fulfillment. That you're making a difference with your life. And you were created for that. You were created for mission. Because every person in this room, every member is a minister of the, of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. As we look at Stephen and look at these other men. There are kinds of people that God desires to use. God desires to use you today. There's some things about our lives that God is looking for. And as a matter of fact, when these things begin to live out in our life, 
Other people take notice. Other people take notice. These men, starting with Stephen, who was named first among them, were chosen to be problem solvers. They were chosen to be problem solvers. I'm going to take a little rabbit trail here because I want you to hear something today. If you solve problems, if you're a problem solver in life, you'll never be unemployed. Oh, hear me today. If you're a problem solver today, you'll never be unemployed. You know why I never will be unemployed as a pastor? Because all of you attend every Sunday or whenever you attend, and every person in this room has problems. And as long as there are people on planet Earth, there should never be an unemployed pastor. Because the fact is my calling is to help fix your problems, help push you to Jesus, help steer you to Jesus. He hears a solution and the answer for your life. In your life, in your job, you have skills, abilities, talents. It's why you are called to equip yourself. No one else is going to do it for you. I mean, the fact is today they were problem-solving men. And problem-solving men don't, don't rely upon themselves. They get in the game. In verse number 3 it says, choose men who are full of the Holy Spirit. You know the word full just means to be stuffed? Like just overflowing, just stuffed. They were stuffed with God. They were full of God. When you look at the message, this week we're looking at his, Stephen's ministry, but next week we're going to look at his message. The reason he was stuffed with God is because he had God's Word in him. He was a man of the Word. He was a man of the Spirit. Not just a bunch of rules trying to put on this religious mask. No, no, no. He had the Spirit of God in him. The Holy Spirit of God. And when he prayed for people, he believed that things were going to, were going to happen. He wasn't a deacon. He wasn't a pastor. He was just a person that was part of the local church. And so he he was just a servant. But he was willing to be used by God. He was willing to be used. He was full of the Spirit, but he was also full of faith. I want you to see this. believe it's in verse number 5. It says, "But But they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. I love faith. God, this whole life that we are called to live is a life of faith. To walk by faith is not to walk by sight. Sometimes in our lives we can get so numb to God wanting to do supernatural things in our life. Because we're wired to kind of get control and, you know, to have things figured out and to have our own plan. No, 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 no. God's wired us to be people of the Spirit people the spirit full of faith i went to a pastor's meeting this week and and the pastor was sharing about something that happened a couple of weeks ago in nigeria remember we had prayed for night the churches in nigeria a few weeks ago the great persecution many of our churches have been burned down our orphanages are being destroyed and christians are being murdered by terrorists just by murderers that's all they are we were praying for the churches there in nigeria and this pastor was sharing a story this past Thursday, and he was talking about a pastor in Nigeria. And the church there in Nigeria is experiencing great persecution. And they begin to talk about the experience of this one pastor and his church who began to pray. And he used these words. He said, in America, we can get numb to the supernatural. He said, I challenge you today, don't get numb to the supernatural, to the divine intervention of God in your life. And he went on and told the story of this pastor, how God's delivered them, and it's just an, it was an amazing story of God's perseverance and protection of this particular person. I thought, I thought don't get numb to the supernatural. And I, I called up the church, 
I said, I'm going to be back. I told Pastor Glenn, I said, I'm going to be back at 1 o'clock. And I want you to get everybody in the room. And we texted everybody. And we got everybody in this auditorium. And I just said, guys, listen, we're going to pray today. We're going to pray for this city. We're going to pray for us, for our hearts to have the heart of God for this city. I don't ever want to get numb to the supernatural. What God did in Tiffany Waite's life, that was supernatural. I, she was lost. I got to hear her first service. Every service you get to hear a little take on it differently, but she was clearly lost, far from God. God did a supernatural work and He changed her heart. Let's never get numb to people in third service that are going to get going to the baptismal pool because they've said yes to Jesus and their life has changed. Let's never get numb to the supernatural work of God's Spirit. They were full of faith. And then it says of Stephen, he was full of grace. Everyone say grace. Hear me today. The word grace. I love this. This cold, full, stuffed. He was stuffed. The word grace is joy, sweetness, pleasant. He was pleasant to be around. <laughs> it was a joy to be around. See, you're either going to be a problem in life or you're going to be a problem solver in life. And the reason God could use this man it's because he was not only saved by grace, he was full of grace, walking in the grace of God. He wasn't angry. He wasn't mad at people. The images, you know, of preachers being mad at people. I tried so hard not to express that. The fact is today, the fact is today God's created us to be full of grace. People of grace. Not only to people that are against us, God's called us to demonstrate grace to people who are far from Him today. He was full of grace, and He was full of wisdom. The wisdom of the Spirit. The wisdom of the Spirit enables you to make decisions, right decisions about who God is. The wisdom of the Spirit enables you to not allow bitterness, because you know if bitterness comes into your life. Listen, we're going to go through this story, His message next week, and we're going to see how people were opposing Him. You know, there's a human tendency to want to preserve ourselves. There's a human t- t- tendency to want to fight, and that's all good, and we're fighting for life, and this sense of self-preservation. But what Stephen refused to do was allow bitterness to get into his heart. And his final act, his final act, we read the verse. It's on his knees before God. He's being stoned. Think about it. I mean, he's smoking dope. Not that kind of stoned. I mean, people were throwing rocks at him. They're killing him. For what? When's the last time someone threw a rock at you for saying Jesus' name? Come on. Come on. No, they might not like you and all this stuff at work. And you got to be careful because we're so correct. You're not picking stones up. Man, that guy was being stoned. Rocks throwing at him. And he's on his knees. And he says, Lord. Don't hold this against them. Don't hold this against them. He walked in forgiveness. He walked. He lived open-handedly for God. He lived as a blessing. Oh, he was full of the Spirit. He was full of faith. He was full of grace. But he was full of the wisdom of God. Not to allow bitterness to rule his heart. Not to see people as his enemy. But to see people that God loved and died for. That's the mission of City Church, to bring His love to this city one person at a time, regardless of race, regardless of political identification, regardless of the bondage or sin that they're in today, because God wants to change them. 
just like he changed me, just like he changed you. There's more stories to be told, but God, don't hold them. Next week, next week, the story changes. There's a man introduced. There's a man introduced who would go on to change the world, change the world for Jesus. But when he was there at Stephen's death, he was far from God. Far from God. Stephen's last act was a prayer. God, don't hold this against him. (laughs) What a life. What a life. Come on, he's just a churchman. Just a good church guy sitting on the pew every week, supporting the apostles, supporting the prophets, tithing, giving of his offering, just doing whatever he was asked to do. Last words out of his mouth. God, don't hold it against him. God answered that prayer. I want you to bow your heads. Maybe you're here today. After this point of your life, you resisted the message. I want you to know Jesus loves you. He did it all for you. He died for the one. I, I, I cannot give a message without giving you an invitation. Most people in this room, you've been here many times. and You've said the prayer. You've asked Christ in your life. But there may be one here today. You've never surrendered your life fully to Christ. Maybe you know about God and all that. I'm not talking about identifying with the name. I'm talking about knowing the person behind that name. Your life is fully committed to Him today. You're here this morning. You know that's not where you're at with God. When I count to three, I want to give you an opportunity to know Him today. I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Him. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Anyone in this room right now? I see that hand back there. I want anyone else. Come on, God loves you. Amen. We're going to say a prayer in just a moment. You can put your hand down. Anyone else this morning? I want to miss this moment. All right, everyone else, you're saved. You know, God, what's God saying to you? What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? Has there been unbelief in your life? Has there been a lack of grace towards other people in your life? And a lack of wisdom? You haven't forgiven other people? You've allowed bitterness to come in? I don't know. But what's God speaking? this morning God's speaking to your life I want to give you an opportunity to respond in just a moment we're going to stand together today just stand with me this morning all across this room first I'm going to ask every person in this room to lift their hands to Jesus right where you're at I want you to lift your hand to Jesus we say this often but a hand lifted can't a hand lifted straight up with open hands. It's not a fighting position, it's a surrender position. And we're gonna say this prayer today together today. And if you raise your hand, you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus. When you say this prayer, I believe that Jesus is gonna change your life. You say this prayer and you mean it to me, I believe he's gonna change your life. I want everyone to repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. I believe today that you died on the cross and you rose from the dead just for me. I know, Lord Jesus, that I live my life far from you. But I'm asking you 
to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, and to give me a new beginning. I surrender to you. And from this day forward, help me to live for you and to serve you all the rest of my days. I ask this in your wonderful name. Amen. I want you believers, I want you to put your hand forward like this. We talk about it 